Good afternoon. Uh, we are here, episode twelve. Yeah, we are. Uh, season two, just grinding it out and yeah. hitting it on all cylinders. All cylinders. All cylinders. Um, Ryan, before we get into our super delectable topic today, um, <laughs> I want to talk about profiling, Ryan. Okay. Have you ever been profiled before? Dude, have I told you about what two completely separate cops have said to me at completely separate times in my life? Maybe. That was the same. What was it? Do you have a weapon in your car? And then I say, no. And they say, are you <laughs> nah. sure? And I say, yes. That's happened to yeah, me on like, two separate occasions. Oh, wait. Actually, I forgot. Uh, yeah. Thank- thankfully, you asked that second question because now I remember Dog, that I do have a weapon. That's literally <laughs> happened to me twice, maybe three times of just police and Mesa asking me, do you have a weapon in your car? And I'm like, no. And they're like, are you sure? And then sure? you're just like, love is a weapon. Yeah, love is a weapon. Love is and a verb. And you cried at the steering wheel. Mm. And he's like, are you all right? And I was like, <laughs> And you're no. like, no. And then he's like, are you sure you don't have a weapon? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, bro. <laughs> yeah, that's what happened. So yeah, I've been profiled before. Absolutely. Nice. Um, I don't know if I have been, because obviously... Uh, I am not the darkest uh, you man look, on this. You planet. could pass Middle Eastern though, G. We've I have okay. So when I was in, I was in Europe uh, with some some dogs. Europa. Well, first I was in Europe with refugees, and then <laughs> after that summer Jesus, in Sicily, where I got to live my dream of eating pizza every day and tanning on the beaches. Twenty five pizzas, right? Sicilia. That was the second one. Oh, okay. uh, I was there for like ten weeks the first time, so mm. I probably ate way more than twenty five. Uh, um, but anyway, we went on a trip then. I was, I was pretty dark. Uh, we went on a trip through the rest of Europe and no joke, probably in every one, but like one of the airports, I got stopped and all the other guys with me did not <laughs> for the most part. Wow. Uh, Cause my beard was pretty long. I was pretty dark. My hair was pretty long. Uh, I did look a little rough because I was backpacking. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think we've, we've kind of talked about this before, but I, I even in the last few weeks, I've been asked if I was half black, uh, just over and over again. Um, by white Does that people, feel good, black Col- people. Does that feel good to be asked if you're half black? Be honest with me. I mean, it's like a pride thing, I guess. It makes you feel cool because yeah, you get you get the swag of it without the oppression of it, <laughs> and that's what I think white people like. I hate you right now. <laughs> oh my goodness! That was. Am I, am I wrong? That was. Is that what, is, that's like what white people like. If we weren't on a podcast, that would be the same answer. Like this would be the yeah. same conversation. <laughs> like I hope you guys listening know how real of an answer that was from Colton. That that's I mean legit. That's like what we do. That's why guys try to act black, talk black rap black whatever because Dog. they want the swag of it or the fashion of it but they they don't actually want it they don't want it because then once you actually have to embody that then it they don't want that you know what's funny about that um, too i'm so what? i'm pretty dark but my uh um my brothers are are lighter but they have coilier hair and smushier noses and i have far more european features for a black dude like pretty pronounced and so does lecrae and then guess who leads things all the time in white spaces me and Lecrae. Louis so it's interesting. Oh, Louis. <laughs> <laughs> White blessing. <laughs> Anyways, let dude, it's watch, interesting. Let me watch those shoes. Let me shine those shoes for yeah. you, Lecrae. So I'm not I as scary because I have a more European-looking face. 
I'm not as scary of a black yeah. guy, you know. So that's true. Unless if you're not happy, then you are scary because oh, everyone's wondering yeah, what everybody's, you're feeling. I'm wondering if I'm mad at them. Because Ryan can't just be neutral, because then that's a threat. Ryan has to be happy. Mm. All right. Well, speaking of uh, white white stuff, uh, we're talking about white guilt and white women tears, which I'm sure is triggering for some. But don't worry, for some of you that might be triggering for white guilt, we're actually talking about more progressive places, kind of. <laughs> so you're off the hook, white conservatives. White women tears uh, is going to be a mixed bag. Uh, we're going to tread lightly on that. But anyway. Uh, I think you can kind of see white guilt, and even what we were talking about there, Ryan, with uh, yeah. the statement that I'm about to make Here we uh, go. is, I'm Sicilian. I'm not white. <laughs> Dude, growing uh, up, oh my, I'm Italian, Ryan. Yeah. I'm not white. Yeah. I'm like, all right, bro, what kind of white are you then? Like, what do you... <sighs> the Italian version. Uh, okay, cream. So anyway, I think, I think we do that, one, because there is some immigrant history where we weren't actually embraced as white. You can listen to the white privilege episode and hear Dude, about that. Fascinating. So that, that's one aspect of it. But I think the other aspect for modern day is it helps us distance ourselves from, like, white issues and white racism. Because we can say, like, oh, man, yeah, those white people are crazy, right? <laughs> Good thing that's not me, right? Because I... Them, right? I'm Italian. Um, so it kind of avoids that white association that I think a lot of people are trying to get out of. Um, and so I think that is a helpful precursor for people to even see that and how we try to distance ourselves from whiteness, especially cause a lot of us don't even think whiteness is a thing. Like it's not a culture. It's not a heritage. It's not a, uh, a privilege. It's not a blessing. Uh, it's, it's not even a thing. Um, so we try to distance ourselves from it entirely. Yeah. Um, but basically white guilt um, this is a definition for y'all. Um, so these are not my own thoughts. Uh, so don't get mad at me or don't applaud me either. <laughs> I deserve neither. Um, so white guilt. White guilt is the individual or collective guilt felt by some white people for harm resulting from racist treatment of ethnic minorities, such as African-Americans, indigenous peoples by other white people. And then most specifically, this is found in the context of the Atlantic, Atlantic slave trade, um, European colonization, and the legacy of these eras. So basically, it's this collective or individual guilt that's felt by a person who is white um, from descending from white peoples who oppressed and afflicted non-white peoples. It's that simple. Um, it is guilt felt by white people for white things done to non-white people. Mm. <laughs> um, this is uh, so Ryan. Have, fascinating here. have you seen this kind of white guilt play out in any places you've been or in your own life um, where people try to distance themselves from white history or say I'm not like other whites or I I'm different um, which I also want to give like just a credence real fast like of course uh, we're not saying that every white person is like a slave owner that is not what I'm saying by asking the difference between those two uh, I'm just saying in that kind of moniker, in that kind of thematic work, uh, have you seen white guilt uh, in your life? Oh, yeah, dude, all the time. Uh, you know, you get it from like the mom who is like wanting me to console her for her like being. <laughs> oh, we're going to get the white women tears in a second. Well, well you know, I'm just saying like without the white women tears, it's just like, OK, like when I get off the stage speaking about racism, it's like, boom. There's that. There's the friends who are like, well, my best friend or the Gen X guy that I talked to whose best friend was black growing up and he's not really racist. Like he was tight with the brothers is what he would tell me. And I'm like, oh, OK. <laughs> and then tight you get with the brothers, bro. It would actually be more brothers to like get some more clout. And I'm like, That's that true. just makes you sound dumber. Um, you know, you get the uh, the uh, the friends that just or the people that just try to tell you 
um, like they don't say the N word when it comes on in the song. Uh, it, it just, there's all this, uh, like unprocessed, unthought through reaction once I'm in the room and you can typically tell once I'm in the room and something like comes up that has racially, oh, racially yeah. definitive lines when, when this talk happens. about that time in seminary, when they all looked at you. Oh you remember my that? gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, what I was doing was I was trying to i think argue for um i think that was like around the puritans or edwards it was around yeah. that station in your journey yeah and, and i was trying to argue for like what about how puritans like i just brought up the question of propaganda this question that he asked in press puritans of like how come you guys had a valley of vision vision but you <laughs> in your valley vision you couldn't see that uh you can't own people. And why didn't you tell your neighbors to stop owning people? Things like that. And and people just kind of turn around and look and just like want me to carry the entire conversation uh, for anything that has to do with yeah. race. And, and as soon as one of the like the non-white guilt feeling person says something somewhat racist, yep. then all the white guilt feeling people then turn and look at you like, oh, oh, oh man. And it's even a yeah. way of like showing this recognition of like, I'm not like that white up there who said that thing. Mm-hmm. But then it's still this weird looking at mm-hmm. you no one's gonna say anything mm-hmm. to confront him um it's it's the weird like i'm distancing myself from that statement that was racist but yet i'm not really doing anything and i'm making ryan not really feel do anything isolated. about it and i'm just gonna kind of sit there and then maybe i'll pull him aside later and say hey i'm sorry uh yeah, yeah i i definitely experienced that before as well um yeah dude it's it kind of happens so much i kind of it's hard for me to just be like oh there was a specific time uh, yeah. But yeah, I've I've definitely experienced that, and the the one I the one I really do get the most is uh, I had a friend of color, and like that's just supposed to like absolve you of all the racist and prejudiced thoughts you've ever had in your life somehow, and make me feel better. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's fascinating. Uh, which we already did. I have a black friend episode, so you mm-hmm. can go listen to that if you want to hear more yeah. about that. Um, but I think I, I've seen a lot of white guilt in I love my city, uh, but I've seen a lot of white guilt in Seattle, um, and maybe in Portland and then in some other progressive areas, uh, generally speaking, because conservatives don't really normally feel guilt <laughs> like at all, <laughs> uh, which is, you know, okay. Uh, but I think in, <clears throat> in terms of like Seattle and Portland, cause some might be wondering, well, how does, how does Seattle or Portland show white guilt? I know Ryan, even you mentioned in an episode way back in the day, about how you were in that Portland coffee shop or something with your dad. Yeah. And they're playing like gangster rap. Dude, music we went to eat Vietnamese and it was yeah. gangster rap with like white hostesses, black, black servers. And everybody who was Vietnamese was cooking in the back. And I was like explicit in word. Everyone else is white. Yeah. I was like, yo, what is this place? My dad and I were <laughs> baffled. Yeah. So I think we kind of see it. Cause I mean, for those of you who don't know, um, the North was racist too. <laughs> and these progressive cities nowadays were racist in their history as well. Um, so when you kind of look at the history of these things, black people moved, <clears throat> sorry, got some coughing and some phlegm. Um, but black people moved into these cities. Um, and you can see even in Seattle, even in Portland, if you just grow back 20 years, even today, 
uh, you can see the segregation that still exists. Um, right. We are not intermixed no in way. the communities I live around. I know, Ryan, even when you came to visit, mm-hmm. it was comforting in some ways to see all these BLM posters because it's like, oh, yeah. I don't have to fight against All Lives Matter. Right. Um, but then it was also like, but no black people live in any of these neighborhoods. Yeah, so where are all the <laughs> black people? There's no black people here. Uh, and so it's kind of just this weird, like, we stand with you, but we haven't really, really, really dove into our own history what we've done is distance ourselves from the explicitly racist but we have not really like dealt with anything so we're just doing the same thing we're all still living in white upper middle class suburbs but we just have blm signs now but there's still no black people around some of these neighborhoods i'm at that have all these posters there's probably more posters for blm in the city than there have been black people that lived here in the last 10 that's a fair stat um it, I mean, it's even <laughs> even just in one block, they're everywhere, which in some ways is good. Um, I agree with the slogan. But in other ways, it's like, but if we truly were committed to this, then why don't more black people want to live here? Or why aren't they living here? Or what are we doing that's keeping them away? I, I don't know. These are questions that I even haven't dealt with myself. Um, but that's kind of like one of these things where you just, white guilt is kind of like, I'm just going to say the things, like the right things. I'm going to do the things that are right. I'm not going to do the racist stuff that other, you know, white people do. I'm going to go march in rallies uh, with my $100 yoga pants and my $8 lattes. Um, and we kind of give Sheesh, a bro. little and expect to be praised a lot. Mm. Um, Charles Blow says it this way. Uh, this is an article I read. He says, the white liberal has an insatiable hunger for guilt-laden self-flagellation. <laughs> I'll say that one more time. The white liberal has an insatiable hunger for guilt-laden self-flatulation. <clears throat> the white conservative has a thirst for absolution of legacy guilt and relief from current contempt. Um, and you can see this on like social media feeds with those who have now had a racial awakening. They're posting, uh, so now you want to talk about it, <laughs> whatever Canva posts. Yep. Uh, <clears throat> it's all good. Like I, I, I like so much of it, but it's, it's putting the cart before the horse sometimes, I feel like. And this is true of my story where I start speaking out or wanting to pat myself on the back or wanting to get pats on the back when I haven't really, really wrestled with the ways that maybe my family, my heritage, myself have participated in the very things that I'm campaigning against or charging against. Sure. Um, so, Ryan, in, in your experience, um, like what, what has it been like for you? You live in a super conservative city. You visited me and others in super progressive cities. Like, how do you process white guilt in conservative places compared to white guilt in progressive places? Like, do you feel safe in places like Seattle and Portland? Do all these BLM signs and stuff make you feel like, wow, I'm really wanted here and I, this could be a home? Or <clears throat> is it the same as other places? Yeah, I think, um, you know, when I'm in a place like Seattle or Portland or uh, even Salt Lake City, I was just there. It, again, it's this, okay, so... I. I'm glad you guys are down for the cause, but where are the bodies? Where where are the people? Where are the um, where is the representation? Just like our our last episode, what's going on with that? And so it's like, okay, I see the language. This is just words, though, until I see actual people being moved into places of influence, or actual people being moved into neighborhoods, or actual uh, shoulders rubbing with people uh, taking initiatives, and not just your tokenized initiative. Uh, so I. So in some ways, it's like, okay, it's nice to know that I'm not going to have to defend the fact that slavery still has modern implications for economics and 
and race in America. Like, I don't have to defend any of the historical arguments when I'm in a space like that or, or worry about that. Uh, you know, you do have to worry about a little bit of the like, oh, I'm so glad you're here or mm, I'm so glad that you're sharing your story or mm, some of that, you know, uh, mm -hmm. and, and that's the progressive space. Um, so you kind of have to just gear up for a different uh, situation. Second thing is in conservative spaces, it's also words, um, but it becomes a battle of words. And so it's not that I'd feel uh, less safe. Well, no, I, I you could say safe, but I definitely feel more um, geared up or, or, or feeling like I need to be prepared all the time uh, for whatever that conversation might look like. Yeah. Uh, because in conservative space, it's not going to be the outright blatant uh, – racial arguments to your face, but it is going to be the, well, or the, what about or the, well, I don't really see this or law. Like you get into the weeds of, uh, come have coffee Dane. with me and explain it to me for the 19th time. Yeah. And then, uh, so one of our listeners and one of our, one of my best friends, Dane, who's also an eight, uh, called me and, nice. and helped me understand what ends up happening in that space with white conservatives. Uh, because there's always a breakdown between law applied and law written. And I was like, Oh, that's a really good way to say it uh, and to make that framework. And so when I go into a conservative space, uh, I'm always getting ready to have a rhetoric battle of law written versus law applied um, and lived experience versus their lived experience and how we've applied those experiences. Uh, yeah. So it's a much different battleground uh, when it comes to uh, the the realities of, of white guilt um, because then it turns into well, man, I've never done anything specifically racist, but is this as bad as you say uh, in the conservative space? So, yeah, it's weird. Well, and, and some have argued for white guilt being productive, um, and they kind of say it's a necessary milestone on the road to racial self-awareness, which maybe <laughs> um, kind of sure. in, in extreme versions of this. Uh, this viewpoint kind of says that all white people should be ashamed of their privilege and positions of power and should acknowledge that they didn't really earn their position, but were in positions of power due to being white. Um, this is sure. kind of some of Robin D'Angelo's work in White Fragility mm, um, and her claims that all white people are inherently racist. Um, now, this is where a lot of conservatives nowadays are fighting. I think that's what they think they're fighting when they're fighting critical race theory is this, this like is extreme guilt? proponents of white guilt. Okay. Um, as a productive means to racial self-awareness that you need to be guilty for being white. Um, and yeah. that's a productive way of seeking racial reconciliation. Conservatives yeah, are against fair. that, um, yeah. which I am a fair. It's just not, that's extreme critical race theory, <laughs> you could mm -hmm. say, I guess, but that's not necessarily critical race theory. Um, but there's also opponents of white guilt, uh, black and white, being helpful. Um, I mean, psychologists say guilt is not really necessarily a helpful um, emotion. It's a transitional emotion. Uh, so it's valuable to the extent that it can help you like make amends. Um, but it can't be something you just keep forever. Um, and then it can also lead to white saviorism. Um, so there's this esteemed black economist, um, and Brown university professor named Glenn Lowry. Um, I like saying that name Lowry. Um, Glenn Lowry expressed this concern talking about barriers to black progress. Um, he was challenged one time with the notion that white people's racist attitudes needed to be resolved before black people could address disadvantages circumstances, i.e. we need to fix racist attitudes before we should worry about fixing uh, circumstances of black people, um, which again, go look at the critical race theory episode. We talked about that. 
Um, but so that's what he was charged with. And he remarked, you just made white people, the ones who we say are the implacable, racist, indifferent, don't care oppressors, into the sole agents of your own delivery. Um, and so it, it seems for some um, that, that white guilt is so unhelpful because it's still putting white people in the position of saviorism, where white people have to be so ashamed about themselves in every aspect in order that black people can advance. Um, and obviously, uh, I think we as Christians would see some problems with that. So there's a lot more we could say about this. Um, yeah. But you can go you can go do your research on white guilt um, and white loathing. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of white and then put in negative uh, word or verb. Yeah. Um, but Ryan, I want to talk a little there. bit about uh, white women's tears, which is connected to white guilt. Um, and what I mean by that, uh, just to not offend anyone, uh, is kind of when a white woman's tears, to use that you know word, is basically it's in reaction to a racial injustice or yep. being told directly that something they have done is an example of behavior that reinforces racist ideas or beliefs. It is then the white woman who takes center stage and becomes the victim by yes. getting really hurt uh, or um, kind of just start unloading emotionally about how terrible they are, the realization, or yep. they just straight up start crying and can't even voice any words. So you're just sitting there. Um, so it, it, in a typical situation, and maybe Ryan, you can think situations. of it. Okay. So Ryan, could you don't share any names, um, which you wouldn't, but could you think like, could you? draw out some of these scenarios for us just to like make it clear what we mean by white women's tears <laughs> and why that might be uh unhelpful or even harmful in conversations surrounding race with you yeah so i i end up talking uh passionately about how uh, this is like the lowest tier how a uh, country song by luke bryan centers a lot of white southern traditions that make me feel kind of excluded so i don't like country music because of that a lot uh not just the exclusion but just the like the words being used the the tone being taken the even the instrumentation just feels like ooh, a little bit of south will rise again and then the person um the white woman saying i don't really understand what do you mean and then me pressing on that and being like how do you not understand don't you understand all the history of what's happened to take place to like create this culture that sometimes this country artist keeps propagating and then just like starts getting teary-eyed because they are caught off guard or feeling quote attacked because they've yeah. never meant to be racist. And then it just turns into, Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to make you cry. So that's scenario one. Like, mm -hmm. great. So that's fun. low level. It's maybe low level. not even an acknowledgement of yeah. any racial realities. They just started crying because you right. hurt their feelings because right. they didn't think whatever. Scenario two, Ryan gets his haircut at, uh, epic salon in in Arizona and nice. Joe Biden wins the presidency uh, it's confirmed that that Saturday of uh, the election week in 2020 and hairdresser goes on to tell Ryan for an hour and a half how she's dated multiple guys is currently with a black guy always like black <laughs> men growing up uh, was raised on in, in Texas and please tell uh, me she didn't use the phrase jungle fever no, she did not. Because that is still a popular phrase. Can't believe that. Among, like, how do white uh, people let white these women. phrases stick around for so long without even thinking about? Them? I don't get it. Anyways, uh, so then she proceeds to justify all of her experience being one of the only white women in this high school in, um, uh, I think it's Prairie. Uh, where was Sandra Bland killed? 
um or where did she die in jail uh sandra bland was one of the like key racial like police mm-hmm. uh cause I, I don't remember specifically where all right so basically uh proceeds to tell ryan this um and then proceeds to question ryan about how he knows about this hood city uh in texas and and wonders if he's got enough cred to really stick with her uh white experience in black places and then continues to listen to my story and tell me how important my story is, even though she had to justify all of her white experiences in a largely black and brown space and how yeah. she really loves her black boyfriend currently. And I'm like, what <laughs> is this? It was the longest haircut slash dying of my hair I've ever had in my life. Uh, so yeah. there's some white guilt there and white women expression. She never cried. She got close, but she didn't, she didn't quite get there, but I could tell she's getting choked up halfway through yeah. some monologue. Of like 45 and then scenario minutes three, Ryan, this is full-fledged white tears. I'm assuming that's what you're building to. Here we go. <laughs> so full-fledged white tears is uh, Ryan uh, spends uh, eight minutes uh, explaining how it's been interesting to be growing up black in a white space, how the realities of race and the church need to actually be reconciled, how George Floyd just cried out for his mom before uh, he died and, and just the pain and overwhelming nature of not being able to feel like you can talk that through or people not getting it uh, can come out and you're just expressing this to your church family. And then you get off the stage and the next Sunday you're just sitting at a booth waiting for high school camp signups that isn't going to even happen because COVID (laughs) and uh, just woman comes up, doesn't even eke out, real words just cry full-fledged full stream absolute tears so much so that i end up hugging her yeah not really her like consoling me i'm consoling her and this turns into me becoming the racial therapist which just doubles down the burden racially on my back and so you just step into racial comfort and then on the opposite side Ryan, please read this book. You need to read this with tears coming out of white friend that is girl's eyes. Yeah. Uh, And you're going, okay, you're more stressed about this right now than I am because I have the practice of carrying this for my whole life. And now it's like now I have to emotionally respond somehow to your tears flowing. And this is just awkward for everybody. But I guess is somehow comforting for you because it's helping you massage your white guilt because you're looking at me while this is happening maybe i'm sure there's been so many times where you've like been asked out to coffee because they want to hear your experiences that because they just you know that's happened multiple times they watch 13th or they're finally having a racial awakening which is a really good thing um but then they meet up with you and just mostly it turns into you consoling and comforting them because they just wanted to process all of their newfound racial awareness with you Um, but again that pushes your experience and actually to the side it does um and puts their emotions at the forefront of what needs to be cared for and and, in all this like i think we need to add a caveat that obviously like the emotional response that a lot of white women have um in fighting for for black men is really good like i think a lot of white women in the christian church have carried the gauntlet of justice and social justice and racial justice uh, for white men because white men aren't moved aren't often really by 
murders of black people on video and and white women actually are and that's a really good thing it's just when it in these situations like ryan just shared that it becomes centering your uh unprocessed emotional experience and pushing ryan to the side again um and, and i think even like in the lower levels of the situations you talked about um, we have a little bit of the white damsel in distress uh, yes. stuff going on. Like you see Definitely. this in the Birth of a Nation film. Um, you see this with uh, Christian Cooper in New York, New York Park, Central Park. If you remember that, Ryan. Yeah. Um, when he was just watching birds just and watching and birds and somehow he's a threat. Them. Yeah, but even in that, like she calls the cops and puts on a sobbing voice because mm-hmm. she knows that mm-hmm. that will get the response she's hoping for. I mean, go. Go back if you can, if you have the stomach. Go listen to our li- not you, Ryan, but <laughs> listeners. Go listen yeah, to our lynching episode. Um, if you go listen to the lynching episode, I want you to count how many times that white terror and lynching was carried out against black men by direct result after a white women coming forward uh, with tears or complaints or with something that often turned out to be lies or misrepresentation of what actually happened. Now, I, in white men, we are the forefront of taking the burden of this. We we are the chief <laughs> perpetrators of injustice in American history, if you look at it. But white women would often play on the white damsel in the stress to have terror taken out on these black bodies. Like Again, go listen to the episodes. Um, they were caught in this trapped patriarchal system, of course, where you, know, you still couldn't do anything. But the one pa- way you could get power was to go to your white husband or white family members that are men and tell them this black man did something to you or said something to you or did this thing and you could get them literally murdered you just get them killed Um, yep so it's kind of it is closeness to power even in itself is still oppressed um but i think it's still rooted in that like we ryan i'm sure there's been times where you've confronted someone in the moment not trying to be mean but just confronted someone in the moment for something racist they said white woman breaks down in tears and you get a talking from the husband later or you get a talking from the elder later or you get a talking from the pastor later that it gets back to you um where you've done something even maybe not around race uh but it it starts with white women's tears and ends up Mm -hmm. with a white man overseeing you and laying down either punishment or conversation um so it's just uh it's an interesting yeah interesting dynamic i can't say much happened and that has happened (laughs) That's all I can say. That's how. <laughs> I, I can't say much. I don't want to condemn that because as a white man, I think that's not my place. Um, but it is something for us to be aware of. So, Ryan, when we think about all these things, uh, white guilt or white women's tears, which is somewhat rooted in white guilt on the third layer of that, um, is there anything, biblically speaking, that can help us, I don't know, think, think better about race and process guilt or... <laughs> Move from just wanting to be comforted to being comforters, moving from a posture of listening to actually listening. Like, what what are the things you think might be helpful steps for us who realize, you know, we might be listening and be like, oh, shoot, I've, I've done that to a black person before where I started breaking down and wanted them to console me because I was becoming aware of my own racial identity. Um, what is there anything in the scriptures or in the biblical story that, that can be helpful for us? Yeah, um, you know, it, I what I try to do with this conversation is typically broaden out to other um, 
prejudices or, or sins that you've worked through uh, just in your life. And so the Beatitudes with, with Jesus and Matthew 5 through 7 just point to so many different things of the heart and point to so many different uh, places where the kingdom needs to break through and where there's a kingdom ethic uh, that Jesus is inviting us to, to live into. Um, that we are all at some level guilty of. Every human has prejudice and every uh, human, I think, does deal with uh, considering the other as an enemy. And I would just broaden out to, to not make it so much about, man, am I specifically needing to deal with my, my own racism as much as this is just another sin in a long line of realities mm. of sins that I have that Jesus is calling me to die to self to. And, and explore it and instead of running from it. Just like most, uh, I think we talked about this before, Colton, just in, in our reading and how we've helped people mm-hmm. walk through this and how we've been helped. The the solutions to our addictions and problems and patterns and pains isn't to run away from them and stuff them. It's to actually ask yourself why and look at them and then yeah. go into that with Christ, knowing you have the spirit, knowing you've been saved and say, okay, why do I do this? Why do I have this motivation? Why do I operate this way? And then you explore, you explore that pain and that guilt instead of trying to avoid it or stuff it or center yourself on it so that you can just get a brain massage for the next time. (laughs) Um, And so I would ask you, you know, just like we deal with, you know, with specifically with white women, I'll I'll just talk to you in this episode. You guys have every anxiety Bible study on the planet. All I ever see on Twitter is anxiety for white women anxiety for your daily life anxiety for your jobs anxiety for your husband's anxiety for finding the love of your life anxiety for being 30 and single in the church anxiety for wanting to pastor in the church and being a white woman in the church and whatever like that's like the thing all the time it's like anxiety 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 and and where i'm going with this is if you are dealing with your um anxiety as a, a white female in the church, which there's so many endless Bible studies for, you eventually are asked the question, why? Like, why are you dealing with that anxiety? What happened in your past? What expectations do you have that aren't of Jesus that are causing you to be anxious all the time? And so if you are going to be anxious about your whiteness and that's causing the sense of guilt and anxiety in you, ask yourself the same question for this. Um, I think biblically speaking, that's what Jesus invites us to do with the heart. I think yeah. that's what the spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. We actually have to enter into a really deep chasm in our foreign patterns and hearts that makes us go, okay, in that chasm, there's an answer to why I'm avoiding this thing or why I'm having this anxiety for this thing. And you have to ask that question. And so that's, that's what I see. I see there's a, I think it's yeah. an invitation. So just go into it. If you have the white guilt, don't disagree. Don't just like try to argue it away. Just <laughs> dive in and ask yourself why, yeah. what's actually going on there. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, even 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it's like we, we can face guilt, like, because we can be cleansed from this. Like, we can process it. We can dive into it. Guilt is a vehicle towards repentance right. and repair. It's not just this end in itself that you're supposed to live with for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why, like, where I disagree with uh, proponents who say you should be guilty forever as a white person. Um, I think guilt needs to be a vehicle towards repentance, repair, processing, doing story work, diving into your journey, making repairs, doing reparations. Mm -hmm. Like there's, there's a way to actually get underneath the guilt to not let it just drive you into anxiety, um, and dismissal and avoiding it. 
Um, mm-hmm. Like I just face face these things. I mean, I have to face these things all the time. I still am having to face new things that are being brought to my attention. Um, and then in terms of like even for us white people, when we get overwhelmed by emotion uh, and we want to seek to be comforted or reassured by a black friend that that we're not as bad as the other whites or that we're still loved, um, I think there there's some innocent motives in that. Uh, but at the same time, we need to realize like one God can comfort us there. Uh, we can go to other white people to get that comfort. You can. But two, we also need to be ones that in these seasons are comforters, not just wanting to be comforted. Yeah. Um, like we have been blessed by God who comforts us through all afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. Um, so we, if we are so consumed by our own grief or guilt or sadness over our sin, we're going to miss the opportunity to love those who are really being burdened down by the things that we're having anxiety over. Like we are having anxiety over someone else's oppression that we may have participated in subconsciously or consciously, but we get so overwhelmed by that anxiety that we then miss the opportunity to repent, repair, heal, love, confess, go on a process of reconciliation, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Um, So it, it just like with every other sin, it's like you're saying, Ryan, think about it, process it, ask why, dive into the depths of it, dive into the origins of it find pathways to healing, find pathways to growth <laughs> yeah. and then keep going. And then you do it again. When, when new things come up, you just keep doing that. You don't just get scared of it and run away from it forever, which Ryan, I mean, honestly, that is <laughs> how most people respond to most sins and anxiety anyway. <laughs> so it's not weird that it's happening also in the racial category. Yeah. It's, uh, it's kind of like, yeah, I'd expect that response in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's all I got, Ryan. Anything else you have for this episode? About yeah, white, I um, white things. I <laughs> white things. I uh, I appreciate those of you guys who are taking the steps. Um, yeah. To to actually understand, and if you got a couple tears along the way, uh, that's fine. Uh, but I think women in particular uh have a really high capacity to minister. Uh, and I just see. Jesus having some of his best friends, Mary and Martha, be female um, means something. And so for you uh, women out there making it happen, keep going. And for you white women out there, because I called you out specifically, let me encourage (laughs) you specifically. um, That's fine if you tear up a little, but start getting used to not being center. Yeah, just just get used to not being center stage. And I don't think a lot of you guys want to be the damsel in distress. Um, actually most of my conversations with you, white friends that are girls, you tell me that's not what you want. And so (laughs) make it happen. Rooting for you and my blackness. Make plans, not excuses. That's, uh, Mm. from Andy, Andy Minio. Make moves. Make moves. (laughs) Craig's, Craig's going to be so disappointed in me. He is. He is. I'm like, when it said it, I'm like, this doesn't sound right. Uh, nope. Okay. Well, anyway, <laughs> thanks, gang, thanks gang. for listening. Yep. Uh, we'll, we'll catch you later. <laughs> <laughs>